0: Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Good morning everybody. Today is um, a particularly interesting day because um, I um, apologize for taking a, a, a one service break from the series on the work of Satan. We'll continue next Sunday, right? Just permit me to um, talk about Christian marriage today. The truth is that um, I believe because of the um, the, the kind of the ideas that God has, really God has been bringing to my heart, we've not talked about relationship in a while, which we should, because the issue of Christian marriage is a serious issue that um, you know we should give attention to. Hallelujah. So I, I consider it good, and I believe that the Lord is with us, that um, this um Today's service, since it's the service after the wedding and union of two of our church members, um, you know, also use it as an opportunity to teach about relationship and Christian marriage. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, the couple particularly, I want to say congratulations to you. I'm very happy for you. Truly, I'm happy. You are, you are not just my younger siblings. I've been mean, past guy guys since you were in school, since you were in UI. How many years is that now? So... I've been your pastor. I know your relationship very well. Hallelujah. So I'm, I'm particularly happy about that. And I want to talk about marriage and relationship stuff today. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. From verse 1. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Hallelujah. Before I go on, let me just say this, very important. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Um, he said, let no one separate. Let no one separate. It's very, very instructive. Let no one. In the will and the plan of God, when two people come together to become one flesh, the Lord does not see anything separating them. The Lord does not want anything, anyone to separate them. Not even ministry. Hallelujah. Ministry is not a good enough reason for a husband and wife to be separated. Ministry should not come between a man and his wife. In fact, ministry should bring both of them closer. That is the reason why part of the requirements for being an overseer or be a deacon is to, first of all, your character should be demonstrated in that you're a good husband and father. Because you are actually first a husband before you're a pastor. Did you know that? Did you know that? Okay, you guys know, no. Because I remember growing up, there was a time when I was a little bit influenced by certain kinds of doctrines and they say um, ministry is the only important thing and all that, and all those funny ideas. listen, You are first a husband before you're a pastor. That's why a pastor can be benched. You can cease to be a pastor or the elder of a local church, but you shouldn't stop being the husband of your wife. Nothing should come between both of you. That is why before you can be the elder of a church or the overseer of a church, you are supposed to first be demonstrated, it needs to be demonstrated first of all that you are a good husband and father. Church all together. Let no one separate. Nothing should come between you. Talk less of business. Talk less of your in-laws. Talk less of um, Nigeria's economic issues. Talk less of children. Let no one. Let's continue. Verse 7 now says, Why then, be asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his, wives, his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. So these were people that thought it was better not to marry than to marry and not have an option. You understand I just said? That. These people thought it was better not to marry <laughs> than to marry and not have an option. Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I sound be like preaching calmly now. This word just gave me ginger. Jesus said, not everybody can accept this thing, what I said about marriage. Jesus painted a picture that these hardened men could not understand. Jesus painted painted a picture of what the will of God for marriage is. And these hard-hearted people did not understand it. He said, it's better not to marry than to go with that will, that picture of what God's will for marriage is. And listen to me, let me just start by saying that. It is better not to marry than to marry into a relationship where it is not the will of God. If if the marriage is going to be something that is not the will of God, it is better not to marry. It is better not to marry. And Jesus confirmed it. They said it from a position of a hard heart, But Jesus said it from the eternal counsel and the wisdom of God. He said, yes, it's true. Because... This idea of what marriage looks like is not for everybody. Listen, the reason why there has been a lot of confusion about arguments, and argument about what Christian marriage should be, and whether Christian marriage is good, and whether the, the Bible's definition of how a Christian marriage should be, people of today, the way they always complain about it and all that, the reason why that complaint is happening is that it is... When you see someone complaining about how a Christian marriage is defined in the Bible the person is not meant to marry. You're right, said, no? If the biblical picture of what a Christian marriage is, is annoying to you, is offensive to you, it means it is better for you not to marry. Because if you do and marry any other picture outside of what the will of, God's, what the will of God is for marriage, you will go through things that will prove that it was better not to marry. See what I just said now. Marriage is not for everybody. It is for those who can accept what Jesus said. Marriage is not for everybody. It's for those who can accept what God planned from the beginning. Not everybody can accept it. And so it is better, and that's why culturally, culturally. Let me do a lot of a little bit of small, few anthropology. <laughs> Listen, and I'll still explore it on this over time. For most of humanity, the world's definition of marriage has been pragmatic, practical, has been practical. The truth is that when people get married for most of humanity, even up to now, it's just a different way. The pragmatism is different because you can afford a different kind of pragmatism. I will, I will explain now, you'll understand what I mean. But for human beings, their default in their canal mind because of their hard hearts. That's why the Pharisees were having a problem with it. Marriage is based on marrying someone for their usefulness to you. And it's not on one side. It's both sexes that do it, both men and, fem- and women. Men marry women because of the practical usefulness of the woman. Practical usefulness. Someone that has the home, the home front taking care of for me in terms of the chores and the minial, duties and all that. We understand so that I raise the children on my behalf. Biophysiologically, men might be less equipped, less competent, except they stretch themselves. What comes naturally to a man may not come naturally to a woman. So, people don't. There's some that men don't really, really understand that the world was not always like this. Because you are born into a world where you have um, phones on your this thing, and you have microwave, and there's grinder that you can use to grind pepper, and there's heater, there's gas you just do cook, and you grind, you put on the stove, and you want to your child is sick, just take the child to the hospital quickly. They give antibiotics within five days, it's okay, and all those kinds of things. And then you know now you use your brain to make money. You sit down, press your computer, use your brain, and the brain gets you money. It wasn't always like this. This thing. Is not 200 years. This thing is not 200 years. <laughs> the way things were normally, the pressure, the physical elements of the world were so strong on humanity that human beings had to specialize. Men and women had to specialize. You could not do both. If we wanted to survive, right, as a family, you had to specialize. You cannot do both because technology had not advanced to the level where a lot of things could be made easier. So the pressure of the natural elements was much. There was a time when, for you to work, you have to be physically fit, physically stronger. The, physically, the more physical, so I mean, we are going from a time when there were hunter-gatherers. When you're a hunter-gatherer, mean there was a time when the only way you can eat is by killing big animals. If you don't kill big animals, hunger will kill you. You will have protein malnutrition because you'll be eating only grass, so you must fight. Who is going to be chasing mammoths? who will be chasing deer. He's you know, not the person that has wide hips that cannot run. It's the person whose physiology can run. You understand what I'm saying? When there was no antibiotics and babies can fall sick and the baby will be sick for one month, you know you cannot say I'll be with you taking care of the baby and we'll be hungry, will kill us. Someone will go and get meat so that you can be taking care of the baby. You understand what I'm saying? You must specialize. When you move down, you know, through the agricultural revolution and all that, when it became times of farming and all those kinds of things, you have to farm and you have to expend a lot of energy. You know, you want to do certain things that require physical distance. Um, enemies are coming to your town. You know, you cannot be saying, um, I'll be breastfeeding for you, or we we'll sit down together and stay all night up with you. Tomorrow, enemies are coming. Somebody has to go and stay at the gates. Because when the enemies are coming, you are the one that will what? Fight. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying? <laughs> you have stone masons and wood covers and ship makers and ship builders and all those kinds of things. You know, you cannot do it if your monthly cycle requires you to have a stable lifestyle. So they had to specialize. And on and on and on, even to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Industrial Revolution, when technology was about lining things up in the factories, the more you can produce, the more profit, the more your salary and you have to stand from morning till night to produce cars, to produce equipment, to produce all these things and all that. You know, the person that can do it more physically will do it. Or the person that naturally comes, not naturally comes naturally, person, the person do what? Specialize on that. In the last hundred years, a lot of things now changed. We now had, we now had the more technology for us to be able to use our brains and to use our God-given faculties to be able to do things. So that thing began to change. It's not all changed because that's another illusion. Another illusion is that you middle-class Lagos people, you think that the whole world is like you. That because all of you went to uni- university and you are doing consulting, you know you are doing law, you are doing medicine, that everybody is like you. When you go to lower socioeconomic class, you discover that that specialization is still there. You understand what I'm saying? Did you hear what I just said now? <laughs> you think it's not everything, it's not about um, lekki and Ikeja Jajiri, all right? If you move to other places, you see that that specialization is still there. It's not everybody that can go and be mechanic from morning till night. If someone does not do it, will not eat. Why am I saying all these things? Because of that specialization, people were choosing partners for practical reasons, for the usefulness of the person. You pick partners because of how useful they are. So, that's why people are, just, that's a funny conversation that people have and it's not useful because education is not, and just education is not very good, you understand? It's just put things into it. They don't really teach you so, many people are very poorly educated. You see, it's hypergamy. Women like men that have more money, clinical, clinical, and they're always abusing. Oh, are just deceiving yourself. Listen to me. The way human beings are, you marry for practical reasons. There's nothing strange, unusual, unusual. It is very human that women want to marry a guy that can provide and can protect for them. So, that's why even when they're earning money, because of that, thousands of years of human civilization going in a certain way, it is deep inside us. The instinct for most women is you marry someone that can provide and can protect. So even when you're earning money, you're looking for someone that that has more than you. And something deep down inside you does not just like a guy that looks like he's in the trenches. Can I always say amen? amen? Am I lying or not? Between two spiritual guys, one is provided for he has two talents. One has one talent, and both of them are children of God. Which one will you choose? Don't lie. Okay, it's too close. They can still be some trade-offs between one that has five talents and the one that has one talent, and both of them are children of God. Which one will you choose? <laughs> You're you a child of God. You're going to thank you for not lying. So there's nothing strange about the fact that women looked for someone who was more, you know, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and there's also nothing strange about the fact that women men tend to pick women that they consider more good-looking. Let me tell you what good-looking means. Good-looking just means someone that has the features of fertility. Do you know that? Did you guys don't understand. Okay, that's what it means. That's actually what it means. What people call good looks among women, what has been indoctrinated in our brains to be what good looks looks like, is someone that is healthy and looks fertile. You cannot tell by, because it's just now that I started doing a hormonal tests and all those kinds of things. For humanity, most of humanity, the way you can have the best guess of a woman's fertility is by her looks. So she has a clear skin, clear skin is one of the, medically speaking, clear skin is one of the good markers of health. Clear skin is a very good sign. Almost all sicknesses begin to manifest in the skin. Um, breathing hips, um, all those things that people call good looks are signs of fertility. So men were married women for practical reasons. So when Jesus now said, Moses allowed you guys to be able to divorce, they said, nobody can take it. What the Pharisees were saying is what every human being everywhere thinks is that. You marry a woman for her usefulness to you. The moment you perceive that that person is not useful, you want to divorce the person. So they're like, how can this thing be? How can you say that I marry a person and even after marriage, even if that person is no more useful to me, I'm stuck with the person. I must remain with the person. Is that not a problem for the natural man? Then Jesus now said, no, that was not the plan. The plan that God had from the beginning is that when two people come together, nothing can come between you. So what Jesus was actually showing us is that the thing that unites a couple is not their usefulness to each other. It's something deeper. is love. So that you have something that binds you to a person that even when it feels like as if that person is not getting you what you want, what you desire, you will still hold on to that person because it is not about what the person can do for you, it is now about what you can do for the person. People of the world cannot understand this. It's a big deal. That's why Jesus said, if you cannot do this, it's not for everybody. So, do you understand what I'm saying? See. The will of God for marriage, if done properly, is the best earthly institution That you can ever find is the best thing that can happen to a person. If you can get into a Christian marriage, if you marry into a Christian marriage, it is the best thing that can happen to you. You have made it in life. Do you know what I just said now? You have bragging rights, it's an achievement. Getting married into a Christian marriage is an achievement. It is the best thing that can happen to a person in this world. And if a person is not going to get married, a Christian marriage is better for the person to be alone. I want to explain some things to you that people always think about and argue about unnecessarily. A friend of mine sent me a a study that was done. I'll just tell you guys about it. Very interesting. The study was done between complementarian and egalitarian families in America. The study was done over 50 years. So it was a a serious study. Okay, for everybody that does not know, don't mind us. So once in a while in this church, because we are scholarship people, we tend to use big words. Whenever that happens, feel free to draw us back, all right? Complementarians are complementarians in the MA family unit are people that believe in uniqueness of roles between a man and a woman, especially with respect to hierarchy. So that means that complementarians are people that believe that the man should be the head of the home do you understand that? That the man should be the head of the home. Egalitarians are, are people that believe that there's no head of the home. Both of us are co-heads of the home. So this is an ongoing debate. Granted, it's a very new debate because in all of Christianity, every, all of Christians have always been complementarian. The idea of egalitarian is very, very new. Um, it's, an, it's a very new argument. Post-Third Wave, I think it's a third wave thing. Post-Third Wave feminism and all that, right? So, especially in the Western countries, Europe, North America, these arguments are on. So, someone did a study on the outcomes, the outcomes of marriages between people that are complementarians and marriages that are egalitarian. So, they picked marriages that were complementarians and that believe that a man should be the head of the home, and they picked marriages that, that they believe that husband and wife are co-heads of the home. And the outcome was not, was not surprising to me, but might be surprising to some people. Another thing that they found was that, they found it surprise, it's not a surprise to me, to me, that the view of the husband as being the male head had no difference in how happy the marriage was. Complementarian marriages were not inherently more abusive or oppressive to women, nor were egalitarian marriages. Egalitarian marriages were not happier, both of them were the same. Wilcox and his colleagues at the University of Virginia, Stephen Locke, conducted a study in which they found that no indicator of egalitarianism blah, 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 linked to wise marital happiness. In practice, there seems to be little difference whether a marriage is complementarian or egalitarian. What they found was that what they found was that the real correlation was the belief and understanding of the couple about honor and respect. It was about love. Let me say this at this point. Some boys will come on Twitter, they'll be forming, I'm a feminist. They'll be arguing, I'm a feminist. And then they'll say, Men should not say, I'm the head of the home. And you will think it makes them better. But they're the most abusive boys. If you go and see a guy because he's whining you and telling you that I don't believe a family should have a head, they're in trouble. What makes a man a good man is not whether he's forming on the head of the home or not. It's whether he understands what love is. People thought that part of the reasons why um, men should not marry women is because men are inherently more abusive than women. So they started doing lesbian marriages and lesbian relationships, gay marriage and gay relationships. Studies have shown that lesbian marriages are more abusive than heterosexual ones. You do not know. They beat each other more. They abuse each other more. The fact that someone is saying, I don't believe in someone being the head of the home, or the fact that someone is even saying, I believe a man should be the head of the home, is just mouth. There is something that makes a Christian marriage a Christian marriage. You will notice something that happy Christian couples don't follow your people to argue about submission and love. You will notice that women who are happy in their marriage will not follow people to be arguing that a man should not be in the head of the home. You will notice that a man that is happy in his marriage does not follow people to be arguing, Andrew Tate, and I'm and simping. He's saying you should not be a simp for a woman. Don't give whatever you have for a woman. All those are foolish things. You will never see a man in a Christian marriage arguing with you people. There are mari- some arguments that are purely for people that marriage is not made for. Christian marriage is not made for them. To you. So marriage is not actually for everyone. The Christian marriage is not for everyone. Listen to me, single people. I want you to have a mindset now going forward. That mindset should be Christian marriage or nothing. When you have that mindset, live your life. Don't put your life on pause until you marry. Because this desperation for marriage is a big problem. It leads a lot of people into all kinds of problems. This desperation to marry leads people into all kinds of ungodly situations where they now get into problems and their lives are worse. Singleness is not such a bad thing. After you go through the fever of it, when people are getting married and all your friends are getting married and you pass the fever, you will discover that you get used to yourself. And if you are living a life full of purpose and you are living a life full of meaning and you are doing something useful for God, you will notice that you will miss it. In fact, men are even at danger of this thing a lot. Or at least from my experience, I've seen a lot of guys that are in danger of this. You pass a certain age where people are supposed to get married, Just cover that you don't feel like getting married again. And they'll be telling you, get married, get married. Or guy, you'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm too used to myself. It's a problem. Singleness is not such sort of a bad thing. If you are single and you're not in a relationship yet, so you're applying towards marriage, I want you to have this mentality in your mind. Christian marriage or nothing. I'll define what Christian marriage is now. Christian marriage or nothing else. Tell yourself that. Let it form the basis of your approach towards relationship. Listen to me; it will put a kind of foundation under you, and put a minimum, a minimum, um, um, you know, benchmark for you. That you will find out that you cannot fall into the hands of certain kind of people. You will not be able to fall into the hands of certain kind of people if you have this mentality. Tell yourself it is Christian marriage or nothing. Just I got sense you. One of the major reasons why people have a lot of problems with marriage and they have a lot of fever and they're so desperate about marriage, obviously, apart from the other things I've said about the practicality of um, the usefulness of people to themselves, But one of the major things that causes the fever is the issue of sex. People want sex. So you want someone that will hug you and all those those things that are still, you understand, they're all accompanying sex. It's like... How do I describe it? There are certain things that are not just an event. There are some certain things that are not an act. They are an event. Do you understand that? Certain things are not just an act. They are an event. Sex is an event. It's not just an action. It's not just a certain penetration. It's more than that. It's an event of intimacy. And everything within that boundary is what? Sex. There are some things that when you start doing them, you are already planning towards sex. You are already in the Process of sex. Do you understand that? Uh-huh. So you don't say, um, This thing I'm doing is not really say Some things are permissible. This is the boundary. Can we do this and not do this? Uh-uh. Certain things are what? An event. You don't like this part, Abby? All right. I'll tell you the truth. Certain things are an event. Event. It's an event. Those things are together. When you get married, you will understand better that there's nothing, it's not just an act. All the things that are leading up to it are part of it. It's a whole process. You cannot scatter it and say this part is permissible, this part is not permissible. All of it comes together. So missing that event is what puts a lot of people under pressure that they want to marry by force, they want to get married to someone by force. But listen to me. Sex is both overrated and underrated. It has a dual nature. It is both overrated and it's underrated. Sex is overrated when negative consequences come from doing it in the wrong way. Because when we say something is overrated, it means that we compare what came out of it, we, we compare the pleasure of it to what came out of it. Do you understand that? You compare the pleasure of it to what came out of it. Sex can be overrated. It can be overrated in the sense that even if you, even if you have sex with a person, and at the end of the day, the person breaks your heart, or the person, you have a pregnancy scare, Or you get pregnant and then you're not ready for the child and then you kill your own child and your own offspring. Or you have the child, but your child is coming into a union that is not a union. And then the child is forced to live a kind of life that no child should live with parents broken and all those kinds of things. When you compare those problems to the sex that you had, is it overrated or underrated? You understand what I'm saying now? But sex can also be underrated. When you have it in the right situation. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. It's the gift of God. When you have it with your person, your own ride or die, that nothing is coming between both of you. And both of you are planning towards the future. Such that when the child comes out of it, it is beautiful because we want the child. Everything coming out of it is positive. In that kind of situation, it's like as if you can never have enough of it. It's like you guys don't understand how good it is. So when you find some Christian couples coming to command, they are hyping it. They are hyping it. Don't get carried away. Then they are speaking from the context of it being used properly. If you say because of that, I'm meeting you also going to marry you. Now start fornicating with people. You will know. You will understand that it can be overrated. So calm down. Calm down. It's not worth it if it is in the wrong situation. It is terribly overrated. In the wrong situation. Just get what I'm saying to you. So calm down. What does a Christian marriage look like? Let me just define what a Christian marriage is for you. So you can understand. Now there are a lot of things I can say. There are so many things I can say. But I'll just say one important thing. Christian marriage is about love. It's about the love of God. It's about the God kind of love. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Verse one says, "If I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Again, this is just to say, let me not go. That's true. You already know what I'm to say, Abby. Okay. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I and if I have a faith that can move mountains. ...but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor... ...and give my body to hardship... ...that I may boast, but do not have love... ...I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind... ...it does not envy, it does not boast... ...it's not proud... ...it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking... ...it is not easily angered... ...it keeps no records of wrong... ...love does not delight in evil... ...but rejoices with the truth... ...it always protects, always trusts... ...always hopes... Always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childhood, the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection in a mirror but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let me just do a quick commentary for people that may not know what verse 8 to verse 12 is about. When the Bible says that love never fails and talks about where there are prophecies to cease, where there are tongues to cease, where there are prophecies to cease, it's talking about how we are in a broken world or we are going into a perfect world. A lot of the gifts of the Spirit are given to us for our profiting, so that we can... The essence of the body is love. Loving each other and to meet each other's needs. Those needs come because we're in a broken world. Do you understand that? Those needs come because we're in a broken world. So God gives all this gift for the profiting of the body of Christ to meet this gift, to meet this, um, these needs. as that the Bible tells us the two reasons why um, you know, why God did miracles, why Jesus did miracles. In the book of um, the Gospels, we see the Lord will say, the Bible tells that the Lord was moved with compassion and healed them. The Lord was moved with compassion and cast out their demons. The Lord doing miracles is a mark of his compassion. When you have needs, the Lord is the Lord. God, God is love and he's moved to meet those needs to make things better for you because God does not do meaningless suffering. Do you understand that? In the same way, the gifts of the Spirit are given to, hallelujah, the Same way the gifts of the spirit are given as an act of God's compassion. Hallelujah. But we're in a broken world, that is the reason why we even have those needs. A time is coming when we will not have partial knowledge, we'll have full knowledge, we'll see things as they should. So we don't need someone to prophesy to us anymore. Do you understand that? A time is coming when we will know as we'll be known. So we don't need someone to speak tongues that is a mystery for someone to interpret to us anymore. Because we'll see as we'll be known. But guess what? From this age to that age, there's something that is consistent that it is all about, it is love. So that in that world, because we now have full knowledge and the futility of this world has been rolled away, we can now have a fellowship with God in a substance, in a real sense, right? In a real physical sense that will be with in the new earth with God being in our presence. So guess what? From that, from now even till then, the underground thing between God and us is all about love. So, love will be consistent. Prophecy will stop. Nobody will need to prophesy to you in heaven. Nobody will speak tongues in heaven. There will be no need for miracles in heaven, but there will be love there. Love never fails. And that is the reason why a Christian marriage that does not fail, that is the reason why Jesus can say, What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. It means nothing should make it fail. The reason why a Christian a Christian marriage will never fail, that when one comes together, nothing comes between them, is because they have something that never fails. And that is proper love. God kind of love, biblical love. You understand what I'm saying to you now? Love is what makes a marriage to not fail. The biblical love, and I'll spend some time trying to explain what this biblical love looks like, so that you can understand. It is love that does not make a marriage to fail biblical love. That's what holds a marriage that will never cease, and that's what can, that's what can bind two people together, that nothing can separate them. Love. Hallelujah. Church, I will together. What is the biblical love? I want to Allow me to speak for you so I can really explain to you well in common language. What is biblical love? St. Thomas Aquinas is probably the one that puts it so eloquently that everybody uses it because it's difficult to find a better definition. Love is to will the good of another person. This is why God is love. God is good and he's perfect and he's holy. When he created us, all his creatures, he created us with an intention in mind. That intention is to mirror or it should be a fruit of his kind of perfect nature. So that is the reason why when God thinks of you, the will that he has for you, the plans that he has for you are good because he is good. And the end of your lives is something good. So that's why God is love. And that's why we know that God loves us. Because what God wants for us is good. So love is to will the good of another person. When God, is, when God is looking at you, what his plans and purposes are for you are good. Coherent with his nature. Consistent with his nature. God wills the good of us. So that's why God loves us. That's why we say that God loves us. Hallelujah. Church, I will together. God wills the good of all of us. So that is why the definition of love is to will the good of another person. That means that between a couple, between a husband and wife, that means you are looking at each other and your thoughts and intentions for that person, your plans for that person are what is good for that person. Not what is convenient for you. Not what is useful for you. Not what, how the person can meet your own desires. It's about how you can will the good of that person. This thing I just said now, if you get it, you are done. You are are home free. The world, because of the broken nature of the world and the carnal nature of human beings, they don't understand biblical love. So we think of people and we say we love them because we have an intense feeling for them. I can't stop thinking about you. I've been dreaming about you. When I see you, my heart is beating. When I see you, I can't breathe. That is not love. That means that a person is eliciting or the person is um, creating physiological responses in your body that are in line with the person that wants to procreate. (laughs) It's not love. (laughs) There are children in church. All right? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That is all. All your breathlessness and your heart beating fast. That's all. (laughs) Love is to will the good of another person. That means you are looking at the person as not an object to fulfill your desires. You are looking at the person and you say, I know what is good and I want you to achieve what is good. That's what it means to love a person. When you understand it, you see how everything begins to explain. That is the reason why A brother, if the love of God has properly permitted his brain, right? He can look at a woman and say, I'm going to love you. Not because you have certain physical features, but I want what is best for you. That is the reason why a man can stay faithful to his wife. Even when other women that are more physically better of him, physically appealing than his wife, are there. Because he loves his wife. When people think of love, the world, that's why adultery and fornication is compatible with the idea of love. Because they think of love of how much the person fits what I want. The person gets me. That's not love. The person gets me. So when I find someone that gets me more, this person doesn't get me anymore. We are not in sync anymore. We have irreconcilable differences. Let's break up the marriage. They never loved each other because they don't understand what love is. A man is faithful not because he will never find another person that is beautiful or another person that gets his motor running. The reason why he will be faithful is because he loves you and he loves you because he loves God. It is that love that constrains our behavior. Because when you will the good of a person and you want what is good for a person, you will not do what will harm the person. That is what controls your behavior, not your Physical preferences. That is why a woman can pick a man even though the man does not yet make a lot of money yet. Even after they get married, if something happens to the man's work, she will stay faithful to the man and won't be comparing him to his friends because she loves him. She looks at him and says, you are going through a bad time now, you are going through a tough time now, but I, I I, want what is good for you. I am willing your good, therefore I will participate in everything required for your good to happen. Do you understand that? That's what binds a marriage and nothing can come between them. But it's not for everybody. You see, you guys can say that it's not for everybody. There are some people that their minds, because of the natural man, the carnal man, their minds are so broken, and this kind of thing, the really, Holy Spirit can do this in your heart. Your heart are so broken, and that is the reason why you will notice that there's some people. That's why I see, brothers, I, I beg you in the name of God, stay away from certain things. Certain things make it harder for you to love the way God loves. If you watch pornography too much, what will happen is that you stop seeing women as human beings. You start seeing them as objects. You cannot love an object. You cannot love an object. People say I'm a cat mom, I'm a plant mom. They don't love the plants. It looks cute when they spend money. That's why the fact that someone is spending money on you does not mean the person loves you. The person might be cooking you for his use. Do you understand that? As a farmer's son, I can tell you the, 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 the chickens in the poultry will be saying our owner loves us from every he feeds us three times a day. Whenever our water is dry, he's there for us. When we are sick, he sends the vets to treat us. Do we love the chicken? Is <laughs> I'm a plant mom? I'm a cat's mom. Is because the cat is giving you social comforts. He's giving you psychological comfort. The dog is giving you. Comfort. If the dog was not giving you that, will you have the dog? You cannot say, I love you, this dog, I will your good. If the dog is not useful to you, you will not love it. George, I I'm saying. That's why the fact that someone is spending money on you does not mean that he loves you. It just means he's he tenderizing you. <laughs> he's marinating you for cooking. <laughs> he's preparing your mind so that he can use you for what he wants. And as a guy now, it's right if you have two talents or five talents. That's what of the problems that you have. Because you cannot find, you don't know who to trust. That's part of the problem. Everybody is calling you and saying, I'll do anything for you. She's going to cook for you. You say, She loves you. She does not love you. She's cooking you so that you can supply. <laughs> Christian marriage is to love a person and to will the good of that person. Stay away from certain things that damage your mind and make it difficult for you to see a person as a person and not an object. For you to love someone, you must see the person as Dei. That's why many of these other religions, they don't understand the concept of God-love. For in Islam, for example, with all due respect, alright? Mm-hmm. There's no concept of love there. Because you don't know what it means to will the good of a person. Everybody is as useful, everybody is as loved as they are useful. That's why pagans did not know how to love. Everybody is as loved as they are what? Useful. If you notice that the, there is a correlation between the love and the usefulness of a person, the love you have for a person and the usefulness of a person, what you have is not love; it's lost. So you understand that? To will the good of a person, there is nothing we could have given Jesus. We cannot add anything to Him. Yet He died for us because of our own good. Should I get <laughs> That is, what, that is what it means to, to, to love a person. And so, because love is to wield... The, I was saying something, I keep drilling. Anything that makes you see women as an object will make it hard for you to love people. You will have noticed something. I'm speaking from experience because in my younger years, I understand it. you notice that if you're watching pornography too much, every woman that you see, you see them as a potential sexual partner. You don't think of them as human beings. You don't think of of them as people that have pains and a vision and a plan that God has a plan for them. You don't think of them as children of someone, brother of someone, mother of someone in the future, teacher of God's word. You don't think of them as that. You think of them as sexual partners. That's what pornography does. It damages your mind to see human beings as objects. So, it gets harder for you to love. You see a person that is very hot, that mirrors the image that you have seen on the screen. And then you start getting attracted to the person and start chasing the person. And you have that intense feeling. And it feel like as if that intense feeling means you love them more. You are seeing that person as an object for sex. You will spend money. You will take the person out to cinema and go out to find dining. But you don't love the person. You are looking at the person, and what you are seeing is the person, how the person will please you. The moment your brain moves on from that person physically, or you see another person another person that is, fits that picture, you say the love is going down. You say that love is not there again. that's just be irritating you because you never love the person. Stay away from things that damage your mind. Sisters, the same thing also. She you come from certain kind of cultures. Where they tell you that a man is only as useful as he can produce, as he can provide, as he can protect. Be careful. Don't let your parents and your moms and your sisters and your aunties make you objectify men. When you see a man, the first thing you are doing is assessing him based on what he can produce. Does he have a car or not? What kind of shoe is he wearing? How is he talking? You are assessing him based on his usefulness to you. You, you think, you be when they're talking about brothers that are watching porn, you say, they're watching porn, they're watching porn. Is it bad thing. you two, You are watching your own equivalent. Both of you are objectifying each other. You don't see the person as someone that God has a plan for. You can't see the man as someone that has a plan for. Someone that God is using. Someone that is growing. Someone that will be someone's father. Someone that has his own weaknesses and pains that he's not talking to anybody about. Someone that has his own issues. Someone that has his own joys. You don't see the person as that. You see the person as... How much is it any per month? What do his what, what parents have? When you have those kinds of mentality, when those things, when you allow those, people to those kinds of things damage your mind, you see people as objects and not as people. So, love is to will the good of a person. How is love demonstrated? Love is always demonstrated based on the context of relationship you have with people. Do you understand that? You know when we're growing up, and that's one thing I'm getting to learn now that I know better. You know, this problem of people just learning Greek words, you know, strong for the Yoruba speaking. And uh, strong for the Igbo speaking. You just carry strongs as just start saying them. Um, you are reading, you are reading strongs, you are quoting Greek, you know Listen to me. If a person does not have formal training in ancient languages, don't take the person seriously. All right? Because what the person is saying is on Bible Hub, just Google it. There's nothing the person saying that someone as you understand that in here. So, when we we're growing up, they'll say there are three kinds of love in the Bible Eros, Phileos, Agape, Hallelujah. Agape is the God kind of love. Phileos is the love you have for brothers. I remember when Sister IG taught us and corrected that thing. You know, what I was praying for her, and I even saw, maybe you should talk about, you know, you should teach that thing again. Very important. Love is love. Or love is love. Because when she was, when she was talking about it, then I would discover that, see, when Jesus was talking about um, no greater love can a man have for his friend that he dies for him, he's talking about phileus. He said love, phileus is the brotherly kind of love. The love that you have is a lie. Listen, love is love. In every kind of relationship that you have, there is a contextual manifestation of the love for that person based on the kind of responsibility you have for the person. It's still the same love. You are willing the good of the person, but the way that good is demonstrated is dependent on the context. I love my biological parents. And when I will their good, the way I will their good as elderly people that cannot work is to take care of them, is to honor them. Do you understand that? Is to listen to them when they give me advice. That's a demonstration of love to them. The way I will the good for my brothers and sisters is to give them advice, to be there for them when they have issues, to to make them a hand that they can cry on and everything, to make my shoulder sure they can cry on, to love them, to make sure that I'm involved and aware of their lives. The way I love my wife is not to be sure that to cry on. It's to meet her needs. Do you understand what I'm saying now? Do you understand what I'm saying now? <laughs> it's to meet her needs. There are ways that loving my wife demands for me to demonstrate my love for her that cannot apply to my siblings, that cannot apply to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you understand that? Yeah. the way I love you, that's why I was telling you guys about privilege and responsibility some time ago how you know when you are going from honor to hero worship, or you are going from honor to dishonor the honor, the place where honor is, is when privilege and responsibility match, that means the role that the person has in your life matches with the kind of privileges that you give the person in your life, the moment you are giving a person privileges that exceed the person's responsibility in your life, you have now gone into hero worship, do you understand that? But the moment you are giving a person privileges in your life that is lower than the responsibility that they have, you are using the person, it is dishonor. Do you understand what I just said now? For those that are new, those that have been with us for a while, I've said that a lot of times. Right? That is the way it is also with love. The kind of relationship you have with a person determines the kind of demonstration of what what it means to will the good of a person. That is the reason why I'm married to a person willing the good of the person and ensures that I give the person a certain kind of devotion that I cannot give to my in-laws. If they love me, they will allow me to be devoted to my wife and if I love them, I will love them the way they should be loved that they cannot apply to my wife because you are willing the good of the person. So the person's situation determines what the good of that situation is. Do you understand that? So the way you will it will now be what? Different. Did you understand what I just said now? People are in different situations in your life. Willing their good will also de- demand different kinds of manifestations of that love. So that is the reason why, when your child is small, to will their good is to placate them when they are when they when they think they are suffering. Because children, for children, everything is suffering and everything is pleasure. Right? You don't give me um, gummy bears. You are suffering me. Is as you just go kill me. You Understand that? Uh-huh. So the way you will their good is to do certain things. You say, don't watch TV, it's affecting your behavior, you're not focusing enough, and um, don't watch this and all that. You know, when a child becomes an adult, willing the good of a child, you can't be telling an adult, don't watch TV. Don't you still love the child? Is there a difference in the way you are showing the love? Do you understand what I'm saying? To you? Uh-huh. That's what I'm trying to say. So the way that love is manifested between couples, right? is will the good of the person. Once you understand it, I will not need to list for you how to be a good husband. The question you ask yourself now is, this way I'm thinking about my wife, this thing I'm doing for my wife now, am I willing the good of my wife? Am I willing the good of my husband? And that brings me to the question of um, um, the, the Christian family unit, the Bible, Bible biblical preacher, of a man being the head of the home. That's why this conversation has been taught so much by people with carnal minds. They see the Bible as a tool to advance their own cause. They see the Bible as a tool to advance their own cause. Let me explain it to you now so that you can understand. When the apostles talk about submission, a wife submitting to her own husband, or a husband loving his own wife. What they are doing is teaching biblical love. You know they didn't have all day to write everything about marriage. When they were preaching, they were trying to preach what, they should, what should be emphasized. What they feel is the common thing to emphasize for the responsibility that a man and a woman should have to themselves in the marriage. Listen to me. Submission, love, are both manifestations of love towards a person. Why did the apostles say, wives submit to your husband? Because people don't understand. You know, there's no time. Let me just quickly say this now. If you read Mark chapter 10, verse 35, I write it down. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45, Jesus teaches a sermon there to the apostles. He says, the person that is greatest among you should be the least. Whoever should be the boss among you, you should not lord it over each other like the way the world lords over itself. So you must serve each other. In, Mark, in, in John chapter 13, verse 1 to 7, Jesus washes the feet of his, of his disciples and tells them that, See the way I washed your feet. um, I want you guys to also do the same. So as far as Jesus is concerned, being a leader is to serve your people. Jesus had the kind of relationship with the apostles that Peter felt he could rebuke Jesus. So do you understand that? There are only two people that the Bible uses as examples of patriarchs in the family units for us to imitate. In Ephesians chapter 5, he uses Jesus as the patriarch of the church. That's Im- as imitating what a husband should be to his wife. In First Peter chapter 3, he uses Abraham as a patriarch of, the, of, of Abraham's house who was an example for husbands in the family unit. Both of those men submitted, in a sense, to their wives. Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 21, when Abraham needed to make a critical decision, Hagar told him what to do. God said, listen to your wife. So in a sense, he submitted to her in that sense. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He said the greatest among you must be the least. So Bible submission is not your submission. Listen to me. Submission and love are both demonstrations of love willing the good of the person. Let me explain it like this so that you can understand. When Jesus is calling every family unit to account, he's not going to call the both of you. He's going to call one person first. what I just said now? This is Bible and this is one of the dangers of our time now. If you go away with worldly ideas now, it will make you be offended with the Bible and it will take your salvation from you. When God is going to call, if you don't understand it, understand and listen to what I'm saying now. When God is going to call a family to account for what went wrong with that family, he's not going to call both of you. He's going to call one person first. Adam, explain what happened here. Submission to a man is the demonstration of love towards him. As the person that God will call to explain, if you will the good of the man, you will help him to be able to explain well. Just what I just said now. So that's why the person that we explain, you listen to him and respect him because you are willing his good. You don't want him to stand before God and says, "My wife." You know that was, that was a silly statement. Do you want that? That when God is asking your because your husband, what happened in this family? What went wrong? He says it's not me; it's my wife. Many people don't understand that marriage in Christianity is between two equals. That means that by even allowing a man to be able to give account to God, as the Bible says, you are demonstrating leadership. Because if you said if you say no, nothing will happen. Do you know that? Do you know that? You didn't care what I just said. Now let me explain it like this. If a particular person's consent is the only way that something can happen, who is in control? Can a man be the head of the woman who had the consent of his wife? Don't let worldly people redefine biblical words for you, and you will take their definition, and Satan will come between you and God. Don't let, biblical, don't let Satan redefine Bible's words for you and then you will take it. That is the work of Satan. To put a wedge between you and God. People of the world do not understand what love is. Anywhere they hear submission, they are hearing subjugation. They cannot understand that God in the flesh will come and wash the feet of his disciples. They don't understand it. They don't understand that Abraham listened to Sarah. They don't understand it. So when they are talking about biblical principles, what they are imagining is based on their own offense. If you listen to them, you will not be able to love. Loving a man is to submit to him in Christianity as the person that will give account for that family. And that's why a man loving his wife is to respect her. First Peter chapter 3. Chapter three. <clears throat> Verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious life, gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So long, they've been teaching, wives submit to your husbands, husband loves your wife. As if it means respect is one way and love is one way. Respect your wives. If you will the good of your wife, you will respect her. The person that you don't respect is someone you have objectified. Do you understand that? The person you don't respect is someone that you have objectified. Peter says, respect your wife. If you will the good of a person, we will not need to break down to you everything that it means to love a person. You will know So when the apostles were admonishing us, it seems like as if the emphasis was because they could not write all day, but there were some particular things that they needed to say that were lacking based on the way human beings are. If two equals are coming together in a union and God is going to ask one of them for accounts first, it means that the other person must allow that person to be able to fulfill the plan of God for that person in that role. You cannot help that person to fulfill that plan except you respect the person as the first account giver. Do you understand that? That's what submission means. It means what to make a decision in this family. How this decision turns out, God is going to give him account. That's why you see something he says. He says that it is the prayer of the husband that will not be answered. He says, respect to your wife's your prayers will not be what? Hindered. in that. The person that is going to give accounts. We're about to make a decision. You must give the person that will give accounts the regard required of someone who will give accounts. We want to make a decision about the school that the children will go to. If anything goes wrong with those children, the first person that God will ask account for is the man. So you must also give him that regard. So it is not a subjugation. That is why, in fact, loving the man and willing the good of the man is to tell him your entire mind. Sir, this decision is not a good idea. I'm willing you're good. This thing you want to do it can land us in trouble. That's what you express. But you give the demand. You give the respect required of the person that will give accounts. In the same way, Mr. Man, the person you are talking to is your equal. The only differences that you have are physical differences in terms of personality, biopsychological differences. Both of you are joint heirs with Christ. Both of you have the spirit of God. Both of you have the same value before God. Arun and It is both a responsibility that has some privileges, but don't forget it's also a what? Responsibility. So you respect the person as such. It is not because you are better. Obviously. Anybody that is married in a good marriage will know can tell you. Many times you can be married to someone that has a higher IQ than you. Say you know. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, 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 brothers, listen to me. Settle this thing in your mind now. God has blessed the world and all the things in the world so that things are better. I don't know how long it will be. I don't know if it will be eternal, but I shall know that as it is now, this is the world we are living in. People are using brain to make money now. Not physical strength. Nobody is going to the farm to go and kill lion again. You may marry someone that is any more than you. If you, if you have objectified yourself, that what makes me a man is that I have money. And yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, see, you will be miserable. What makes you a man? What makes you valuable is not that you have more money than your wife. It is that you are someone that will be a faithful steward. That when God calls you, how did you manage your family? You'll be able to say, "I, I managed it well." That world makes you the head of that home. So that means the spiritual leadership that you offer, the spiritual accounts and management that you are doing, that you will give account to God, is what makes you the head of the home. Not having more money. It does not even mean you being physically stronger than your wife. If you marry an athlete that can beat beat you, you are still the head of the home. You hear what I just said now? If your wife is taller than you and she's bigger than you, she can beat you objectively you enter the ring. You are still the head of the home. Because it is you that God will call. So, what makes you the head of the home is that you offer spiritual leadership. You wash your wife for the water of the world. Because if anything goes wrong with you, you must know the word because you are the one that will use the word to direct the course of your life. What is the thing that these people are saying that say the man is not the priest of his home? He's just not saying ourselves. Don't listen to them. Are you what I'm saying to you? If you are the one that God is going to give accounts for the home, what is the work of a pastor? It's not a shepherd. Are you not the shepherd of that home if you are the one giving accounts, Don't listen to those people. Huh? That's why they are preaching all that rubbish. You are the shepherd of your home. That's what makes you the head of the home. Your wife can end times 10. In fact, if you want to show them that the word of God is true, you can decide to be a house husband. you still be the head of the home. Yes. You can decide that you will not even work. And you will take care of the children. And your wife will earn all the money. You are still the head of the home. Because when decisions are going to be made, as the one that will give accounts, it is your veto. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now? See, you can see that it's not for everybody. Can you see why Jesus said it's not for everybody now? So if, it's, if you have not here yet, it's not yet for you. What you should be using your single years to do is let the word of God fill you mightily. Let it change your, man, your mindset. Reshape your values. Because a good man will be a good husband. A good wife will be a good husband. So when you are picking a, a, a choice of person you are going to marry, you are not picking the person based on how you think the person will be useful to you. You pick the person based on the understanding of what true love is. You check their behavior. Stop all this nonsense of marrying based on personality. This person is extrovert. I'm introvert. I want someone that clicks with me. Your personality in They will finish your life with personality. They will finish your life with personality. What you want is to look for someone that knows what love is. What you are looking for is to marry someone that knows what true love is. So that means you talk to the person, you interact with the person, you deal with the person outside of the things that can color your vision. That's why you are having sex with someone you are not married to. You will not see well. It is the nature, it is God's gift... That sex covers a multitude of sins. Do you understand? It's God's will. That's how we settle quarrel in marriage. You understand? This advice for you in the future. You understand? Soon. That's how we settle quarrel. There are some things. Sex just makes it better. He's on the right place, it's good. So if you are doing it in the wrong place, you will not see. After marriage, your wife's fault and your husband's fault is for both of you to manage together. There's nothing like, I'm not doing it again. So, you, have, you need all the things that, all the gifts of God and <laughs> the use of grace to help you deal with the person's faults. But before marriage, you don't cover it. You want to see it. Do you understand that? Before the marriage, you want to see it clearly. You need that objectivity. Not the one that you'll be doing things that, even when the Holy Spirit is shouting in your mind and giving you what this session is we're calling impression. God is speaking to you, He's telling you, this person is not good. You know, it, so you say you will not know hear. But as the was said, your head is not even thinking straight. They are kissing you you cannot see. The only we're telling you, this person is a bad person. He does not have self-control. You will not see. She's very selfish. She cannot stretch herself for anybody. She just wants to be collecting herself. When she's kissing you, you will not see. She's telling you, let's go, let's go. You will not notice that she's not, she has never given you anything before. She does not think of you. But she'll be shouting that you did not call her last night to check up on her. But she has never... You don't know. I pity you. When you marry, you will now know. Hey. I hear what I'm saying to you. That's what love means. I've taken too much time. Hallelujah. Do you guys understand what I, everything I've said? I know, I have a lot to say but let me just stop because if I continue I will not finish. Let's bow down our heads and pray. let pray for yourself and say, God help me. In the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, I pray for your people. I pray for the single ones who are not yet married. I pray, O Lord, that you teach their hearts. Teach them what love is. Fix their values and their mentalities. Fix their desires. Let their desires be biblical. Let what they want for themselves be what you want for them. In the name of Jesus. For those who are already in courtship, Lord, I pray that you perfect their courtship. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, if there's any courtship that is not your will, Lord, Amen. help grant wisdom and grace to bring an end to it. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And every courtship that is your will, that will help your people to fulfill your plan and your purpose Amen. for them, Lord, perfect everything about those that courtship. Amen. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those that are married, all the married couples. Lord, let your grace continue to abide. Amen. Lord, let the ability to love and love as Christ let it be shed upon their hearts in the name of Jesus. Lord, that love of God that the Holy Spirit gives up, that boils and overflows, that spills over everything, let that love spill and cover our marriages in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this church will have the testimony that there are no divorces in this church. In the name of Jesus. Lord, there is our heart desire that this church will fulfill your will and no one will come within the marriages of this church. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, because you hear us. In Jesus' name, we are free. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.